Welcome to Fumpale Podcast, where we are unpacking opinions and changing destinations. I am your host, Shirley Altador, where each week we will chat about how to rise strong out of all types of obstacles that come with relationships. Through personal life experiences and discussions ranging from infidelity, trust, forgiveness, sex, heartbreak, self-love, and so much more. I am passionate and obsessed to provide guidance to every woman to create a better life. Let's dive in, pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. With me, your virtual girlfriend. Welcome back to another episode of Fampale Podcast, another episode of Storytime. And today we have a guest, Dawn Taylor. She is a professional ass kicker, hope giver, international trauma specialist, life coach, strategist, and all around badass. Dawn's journey into helping others heal began when she took her personal recovery from the trauma she experienced in her life into her own hands. Dawn, welcome to the podcast and thank you for being a guest on the show. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing so good. And thank you so much for having me. Excited to be mm. here. No problem. Thank you for being a guest. I'm always happy to have our guests on board. They don't realize how important they are to the show. I appreciate that. So I'm going to have you say a little more about yourself and pass you the mic, who you are, what you do, and what brought you to where you are right now. What was the trauma that happened in your life? Oh, where to start? So as you said, I'm Don Taylor. I own a company called The Taylor Way, and I am an international trauma specialist. That is my forte, and working especially with entrepreneurs, business owners, but also just everyday people that have lived through mass trauma and they're ready to heal and are demanding healing at a faster rate than they're normally getting with therapy. So it started, my why was really, I didn't set out to do this. That's the story I'm not supposed to tell is I never set out to do this. I didn't wake up one day and be like, I'm going to be a life coach and go take schooling or go read a book Mm -hmm. or do anything. It, I, it started with, I was born to a mom who tried to miscarry me her whole pregnancy. There was postpartum depression from a previous pregnancy. So born into rejection, born into a bonding disorder, born into all these things. Then dealing with everything from a broken back at 12, almost drowning, uh, suicide attempts, brain aneurysm, eating disorders, sexual abuse, infertility, drug addiction, death of a parent, abandonment of a parent. And then I hit 30, like it was mayhem, like mayhem. And through all of it, I kept thinking, no, 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 it'll get better. It'll get better. It'll get better. And I'd go sit in therapist offices. And I remember the first time I sat with a psychologist, I'd waited forever to get in with her. And she's like, so what brought you to therapy today? And I was like, mm-hmm. well, I don't know how to connect to my mom because um, she hates my guts and didn't want me and wished I was dead for the first couple of years of my life. And then um, I broke my back and then I drowned and now I don't know how to dream. And then I was sexually abused by my uncle and no one believed me and I got blamed for stuff. And then 
I had a severe eating disorder and I was 87 pounds. So now I still struggle with food. And then, um, yeah. And then I tried to kill myself and actually died. And then they found me and revived me. And I was really fucking pissed off about that. And so I haven't gotten over my anger at the failure of not being dead. And then a year later I had a brain aneurysm and now I'm trying to adjust to like a new body, a new brain, a new everything. So could you help me with all that? And I lifted my eyes up to her and her jaw was like on the table. And I was like, was that too much? And you should have seen her face. She just looked like she was in shock. And what it did was it, it cemented in my brain that I was too much for people. That my story was too much. My trauma was too much that nobody could handle it. And that even by saying that much, I'd caused her damage. Right. Girl, that, I mean, that's a mouthful. And I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to bring you back here. Did your mother verbally tell you that she tried to miscarry you? She did. How old Her were you when she first told you this? I don't even remember. It was just always known. Oh and my. Are you the only child? Very, no, I'm a middle. I'm an older sister and a younger brother. And so it was just, it was very aware. Everybody just knew that she had never connected to me. So like Christmas, it would be like mom's favorite daughter, mom's favorite son, Christmas tree ornaments. And I'd get like some random Santa Claus one or something. Like it was very apparent. And so like even friends, family, like everybody knew, everybody just knew that. She your mom hated your goddamn me. guts. Oh, yeah. your existence just bothered her. 100%. And you know, I love that you even said that because people are always like, no, she loved you the best she could. And I'm like, yeah, but she just couldn't. And then having a life like that, I just added stress, right? I just, I just became too much for her. Okay. How, no. The breaking of the back, you actually broke your back? Top six, bottom six, vertebrae, crack, fractured, or broken. So it's a blessing that you're not paralyzed. How does one break their back and not become paralyzed since the two are so close together? Honestly, um, by the grace of God. Like, yes. it's a miracle. It it's, is a freaking miracle. It is miracle. a miracle that I'm alive, like, so many times over. My husband has always joked. He's like, you're a cat, but with, like, 400 lives. Mm-hmm. Because, like, that I shouldn't have survived. The drowning, like someone had to jump in and pull me out. The suicide attempt, the brain on yours. I'm like, nothing in my life. Like, I should not be alive. Which is also this weird thing, though, that pushed me to fight for myself. Yeah. Like, you had to literally hit rock bottom when you went to that therapist. And even that was a challenge because the therapist didn't even know what to tell you. She she was left with a mouthful with all the information you threw at well, her. Okay, so where do I start, start with this one? Yeah. Right? <laughs> you could just see it on her face. She's like scanning her textbooks, being like, Uh-huh. Let me go to my notes, deep, deep <laughs> in my notes, because there's so many topics I need to cover with this client. Well, where do you start? Where where do you even start? Where do you even take off from there? And so for her, I was like. I sat there and I was like, oh, I'm too much. So I started to just shut it off, right? Like mm -hmm. someone would ask me my story or like I'd go to a therapist and I'd be like, these are the two things that have happened to me. 
but I would ignore all the rest of it. because I was like, mm-hmm. no, no, you can't actually, you can't actually handle all of this was really how it always felt. I see. And it was, I showed up at a therapist after my mom died. So my mom was killed in a car accident when I was 28. And just to was like, she driving? She was. She hit black ice on her way to work in the morning. and she Oh, was literally a freak accident. Totally a freak accident. Yeah. And it was after that and more stuff started to come out about her pregnancy with me and more stuff. And I was trying to deal with this because I was dealing with all this shame around. And I know this sounds so screwed up. I had so much gratitude that she was dead. And I felt such horrific shame about that and so much judgment about that. But the day she died, I felt like I took a deep breath. But I grieved her so hard because she of what because of what I wanted her to be, because of what I had needed her to be. So mm-hmm. I'm dealing with this. How do you say that to someone? Which, by the way, if any of my relatives or family are watching, they're going to shoot me, and that's okay. But that's like, okay. That they'll. I that? mean, they'll get over it. They'll get oh, over yeah. it. People have had to. Girl, I wrote a book about my life. You should have seen the backlash. Oh, uh, right? they probably were like we're xing her out. Oh, totally, hundred percent. They did. <laughs> So when mom died, there was still trife between you guys. Totally. Okay. And Jesus. Okay. So my question is, did you ever talk to your mother about how you felt? Even as an adult, she still had this nasty, I guess, attitude or anger towards you, even as you got older and you were like on your own and you weren't a child anymore. You know, it's funny. It wasn't even ever that it came out as anger. It just came out as disconnect and judgment. Mm, I can understand. It's kind of like the mean girl at the school where she wasn't angry, but but it's just this negativity she had, like the aura in the air that she gave off where you it, it knew. It was the comments. Mm. It was the comments, right? It was things like as an adult, I remember... Um, it was about two years before she died and we showed up at their house for Christmas. Cause I still tried. I tried so hard to the day she died to win her over. Like I did everything in my power to win her over and figure out how to get her to love me. Okay. And we showed up for Christmas and she's handing out presents to everybody on Christmas morning. And she's like, uh-huh. Oh, she's like, I found things for your brother and sister that were outside of the budget. So I just used your money. I, I knew you wouldn't mind. And I got nothing. Like it was that sort of thing. Like she didn't get you anything for Christmas, but she got your brother and sister something. And she didn't think that was not okay. (laughs) No, but those things had happened my entire life. Like that had been my entire life where it was those sorts of behaviors. So it was never, she wasn't cruel. It's not like she hated me openly it was things like that that it was just like oh you Mm -hmm. actually don't love me like you don't because that logically you have three children you equally should get all three of them something yes right you don't say a comment like that but even as an adult and I guess you said all this was before you were 30 Oh, yeah. Based on what you said earlier. All so like you never, 
Yeah, you never were able to speak up and to say, uh, mom, logically, you think that's right and that's fair. Like, you, did you ever speak to her like that? Or oh, it was I just tried. like, Dawn was just like, oh, it's okay, mom. No, I tried. I tried to have conversations with her because mm -hmm. she attacked, she went after so many different areas of my life, mm -hmm. right? That I tried. I tried to have conversations with her. And I remember one time um, I got really mad. And I was at her house mm -hmm. and I remember looking at her and I was like, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I try to bring up in conversation. Like you don't get me. Like you just don't get me. And I don't think you ever will. And I walked out of the house and I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this with her. I don't know how to do this with her. Mm -hmm. And as I was walking onto my vehicle to just leave, like just drive away, just mm -hmm. we, we moved far away from them right after we got married. Gotcha. And so we'd have to like travel back to visit. And my dad had just come home from work and I looked at him with like tears running down my face. And I was like, how do I get her to love me? Like, what would it take? And you know, it's really sad, but his answer was you need to need her more. And I was like, what? And he's like, you need to need her more. She needs to be needed. And I was like, yeah, but she taught me to not need her. She taught me to not count on her. She taught me those things. And it was. I don't really like that big... response at all. Oh, you are a, a child response. that is a parent, you know, not and a good response. as a mother, I think to myself, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? Number one. I am the child that is the parent. I should need her more. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? I look at my kids are a blessing from God. That's it. I would, relationship with her. Then it'll be good. <laughs> I never want my kids to need me. No, you need to no. take care of yourself. Like I'm taking yeah. care of you up until you're 18. After you're 18, now you need to be learning oh. how to make more decisions, fly, be on your own. I am not that parent like... Oh, you need to take care of me. I did this for you. But that response your father gave, I don't even know what that's supposed to mean, how I'm supposed to take that. I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? I need to need her more. No, she needs to fucking get her shit together because I don't need to need her. Let she obviously hasn't liked out. me all her life. <laughs> well, but you know what is interesting is like, that was the moment though. That was one of those moments where I just thought, huh, okay, so I can't actually win her over. Mm. Like, there is actually nothing that I can do because I can have all the emotional intelligence in the world. I can have the adult conversations. I can do all of that. But if she's not willing to play the game, right? It's just is your father your father? What is she, what was she so upset about? You have an older sister, you have a younger brother why you you never figured that out and well, she never she had she had really wicked postpartum depression with my older sister okay like really severe lost my sister was a twin she lost one of them partway through the pregnancy didn't know she was pregnant twins it's a whole big thing that went down so by the time she got pregnant with me she was like she was terrified how old was your sister when my she sister got pregnant is 22 months older than I am. Okay. So, so like that's, a year. That, that's, that's, she's 22 months older than you, but all within a year. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's right? still so, like, close. It been, like about a year after that, she would have gotten pregnant with me. Yeah. And so she still was dealing with that. Yeah. She was dealing with all of that. That when she got pregnant with me, she was terrified. Huh. Right. She was terrified. She was. She probably petrified. was still in postpartum depression even after 100% you had you. Yeah. Honestly, it's why it's why I am not mad at her anymore. Is I've grieved that and I've worked through that. Mm-hmm. But that was part of why I do what I do. Right. Is like when you. Like, look at the depth of this issue that you and I have talked about right now. Mm-hmm. And this is like a five minute conversation of my life and trying yeah. to unpack that. Right. But this was my entire existence. And so sitting in this therapist's office, I begged her in tears. I was like, I need you to tell me what to do. And she was like, what? And I said, I need you to give me a strategy. I need you to tell me that this is how we're going to work through this. This is step one. Then we're going to go to here. And then we're going to go to here. And this is how this is all intertwined. And this is why it works the way it does. And then this is what I need you to do. Like, I was like, I don't care if you tell me to get up in the morning and stand like a flamingo and eat just grapefruits. Like, I don't actually care. I just need you to tell me I'm going to be okay and what to do because I don't know how to live anymore. And she actually started crying. And the she therapist? Said, yeah. And she's like, Dawn, I can't. And I said, what do you mean? And she's like, I legally can't just tell you what to do. Like, that's not what therapists do. And I was like, then why am I here? And I left feeling totally broken. That was probably my like bottom, bottom mm-hmm. of my rock bottom. And I sat down at my kitchen table and was like, okay, I have got to stop trying to find other people to help me fix this. Because I'm not finding anyone who can give me like, here's the key to unpacking your puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. But I need that. That's what I was needing. So I wrote out all my traumas on recipe cards and I literally shuffled them and picked up the top one and was like, how do you heal that? What do you do with that one? So then I looked into it, right? So like sexual abuse, how does that affect your sex life? How does that affect you neurologically? How does it affect you at a cellular level? How does that affect relationships and boundaries and all of these things and trauma responses? And I started looking into healing that. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with a disconnect from a parent? How do you mm-hmm. deal with an inability to bond? How do you deal with hating yourself to the point where you would starve yourself and you would try to kill yourself and you would do all those things? How do you fall in love with yourself again? How do you actually do these things? And I started Mm -hmm. doing research from literally reading textbooks to going to workshops and conferences. And like, I took weird trainings. I did all of the things. My husband Mm -hmm. and I talked about it and I was like, give me one year, give me one year to figure out how to heal stuff or I'm out. And he's like, okay, work hard at it, please. (laughs) Because he wanted me around. But in that year, I started to uncover strategies. I'm like, hey, if I mix step B with step Q with step T and do it in this order, this shifts my brain pattern in a totally different way. And then what if I mix in like this over here and this over there? And and I started to use this to heal my own life and heal my own hurt and my own trauma. And in the middle of it, still dealing with stuff as it came up and... Mm-hmm. People from the outside started watching and going, 
hey, can I ask you for some advice? Like, how did you overcome this? And I'd be like, oh, start here, do this, then do this, then have this conversation with that person and then wait three weeks and then have this phone call and then come back to me. I'll give you the next steps. Mm -hmm. And people just started calling me and people started like being talking to me about their friends. Hey, my friend dealt with this. And they hate therapy. They're refusing to go to therapy. Would you be willing to have coffee with them? And I'd be like, oh yeah, for sure. And that's how it started. That's how my entire career started is because I'm super strategy based. So I'm very like, okay, here's the tool of how you're going to deal with this, but I have 500 more. So if this one doesn't work, here, I'm going to give you three, try these, see what triggers your brain, what works for you. If that doesn't work, then let's shift it. So from the length of a coaching session to how I do it, to like, I opened a healing retreat this year where people come and do immersion style trauma work with me, where we do like one of my clients is a therapist and she's like, no, literally done. That was like 10 years of therapy in a week. Like what the heck? But I look at it so different. And because I've been there, I can actually be like, I've been there. I see you. I hear you. I understand you. I feel you. I've been in your shoes exactly where you're at. Now let's walk out of this together. Let's figure this out. And that's really my why. That's where it started is therapy works so well for so many people, but there's a whole lot of people that hate it to be really blunt. To me, when I think of therapy, when you, when you use the word hate, you're right. Therapy is a great thing. It's a blessing. Um, But it's, you have to find the puzzle that fits. Yeah. When I think of therapy, that's how I think about it. You may go to the first person. The first person may not be a good connection and that's okay. And that's you may okay. have to go see five people before you find that good connection. And people give up by the third time. And they're like, totally. oh, fuck, fuck it. Ther- therapy's not for me because right? I can't find anybody. I but that's yeah. not the case. You just have not found the right connection with you. It's kind of like, it's a puzzle when I think oh, of therapy. Absolutely. And until that puzzle fits and joins nicely, you're not, it, it's going to be frustrating at first. And what people don't realize about therapy is you have a strategy, which is great. But it all starts with you because you still have to do the work. I'm just here as a physical guide for you. Right. You know, I'm just a physical guide. Okay. And I'm going to take your hand and help you down the path. But but I'm not doing the goddamn walking for you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We taking these steps together. Right. (laughs) And, you know, the more you want better for yourself, the further you along you're going to get because I'm where I need to be. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So now people forget that people, but people don't think like that. They, it's just like when you went to your therapist and the therapist said to you, fix it, tell me what I need to do. That's really the, it's a worse thinking than that, I feel, Dawn. And how can I describe it to how I'm thinking in my head? It's more like I'm here. I'm paying you my money in six weeks. I need to be perfection. I feel like that's a person's mindset. I need to be perfect in six weeks. And it's your job to do that. Why are you putting this heavy burden on me? (laughs) 
We're well, gonna... and it's interesting though, because it was never that like it was never that for me. It it was never like I need you to fix me. It was I need you to tell mm-hmm. me you know how to fix me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm willing to do the work. I'm a stubborn motherfucker. Let's be really <laughs> honest here. Like to even be alive today. Like I got mm-hmm. more resilience than an average person, but but some days like you're so far gone that you're like, can you actually just tell me what time I need to wake up tomorrow? Yeah. Like give me an action plan. True. Right? And that's a good way to say it. An action plan, not necessarily the answers. No, but an action plan of like, this is like, here, let's get you going with this. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And here's some steps that you can take as we walk through this. And for me that was a big missing piece that was a big missing piece that I was like if you ask me one more time how that makes me feel I might actually punch something right like (laughs) I might actually punch something right like that was such a big one for me you know it's interesting that you say that because there are times therapy can piss you off even my own therapist love him to death But I look at them, it's a husband and wife crew, and I do look at them as big brother and big sister. But there are times where the husband may have said something to me, and I look at him like, do you really need to fucking say that shit to me? Even though I know why you're saying it, and I need to hear it, and I need it, but I don't want to fucking hear that shit. But, you know, at that moment, that's where the words of someone who really cares for you is always going to say things a lot of times that you may not always want to hear. Everything is not always going to be fluffy and all wrapped up nice for you because it needs to be told to you exactly how it needs to be told to you to shake you up and rattle you up and realize like, look, this is what the fuck it is. Oh, there's a reason my business card says ass kick or hope giver on it. Mm-hmm. And I that's how you're going to be. Yeah. Very early in coaching, I'm like, at times you're going to love me so much, you would marry me. And at times you're going to hate me so much, you're going to wish I was dead. And that's okay. Yeah, that is okay. And now I wanted to ask you, we focused on your mom. And when, how old were you when the sexual abuse was taking place? And did your mother and father know? I was 14 when it happened. And mm-hmm. we had traveled across the country to go visit family, like we mm-hmm. did every other summer. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a lot of molestation that went down over the course of two days, like a day and a whole night and the next morning. Mm -hmm. So it was about 14 times over the two days. And right after the final time is actually when I heard my dad, because my uncle would come into my bedroom to do it, the bedroom I was sleeping in alone. Mm-hmm. And I heard my dad get up and go to the bathroom right across the hall. And I ran into the bathroom, slammed the door and locked it and told him everything that had gone down. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, they did know. How did they treat you, especially mom, my... when she found out about this? And whose sibling is this, your mother or your father? It's my dad's brother-in-law brother-in-law I uh, yep. see so, so this is your dad's sister sister's husband, husband. yeah okay and he walked me to my bedroom and stayed with me while I got dressed and packed up my stuff and then we sat and had breakfast with them nobody said a word we posed for family pictures oh yeah we posed for family pictures on the front step nobody said a word 
we got in the vehicle to leave and then he told my mom and I got told from my mom that she couldn't believe I would say something like that to get out of going shopping that day and that I needed to just shut up and forget about it because we had a day full of family stuff and we would talk about it later. Did you ever talk about it later? Uh, yeah, we talked about it when we got home because all of a sudden I, I mean, it wrecked so many parts of me, right? At the time. And we went home and all of a sudden I am wanting to kill myself and I'm having severe eating disorders and I'm mm -hmm. a basket case and I'm punching people at school and I'm spitting in teachers' faces with straight A's. So teachers could not figure out what was going on. And I finally... So it happened when I was 14 and I was 17. It had been in lots of conversations up until that point. Um, and everyone just acted like it wasn't a big deal. And I went to the cops on Friday, on a Friday in grade 12. There was a cop talking in our law class. And one of the uh -huh. things that she commented on was sexual abusers and predators and the fact that on average and I don't know if these are the numbers she used then but these are the current ones mm -hmm. on average a per like a an abuser has 75 to 125 victims like it's not just you like they have done this multiple times multiple times and over the course of their life that will continue and I remember her talking about this and how it's because nobody talks. It's because no one ever speaks up. It's because everyone keeps this hush hush secrets. And I kept asking questions and more questions and more questions. And it was the last class end of the day. And I was supposed to go to work right after. And I called in sick for work and she came up to my desk on her way out. She bypassed my desk to say goodbye to the teacher. And she laid her card down on the corner of my desk and was like, I'm there till midnight and walked out. And I went to the cops and filed charges that night. And when I went home and told my mom, she slapped me. This was three years later you filed the charges. Yeah, this is three years later. Was he convicted or was, was, did he have to do anything? No. So I went to the cops on Friday, dealt with the most ridiculous unsupported weekend of me supposed to, supposed to apologize to him for going to the cops and apologize to his wife and apologize to the grandparents and aunts and uncles and lots of family phone calls and raging angry parents. And in the end, on Tuesday, I had a brain aneurysm and almost died. You and found out you had from a this stress. stress that you've been dealing with for the last three years from 14 until 17. And then now even more stress your family's putting on you for going to the cops and reporting this man. Did you know this man before you guys went to this location? Was he a new member of the family? He had been around since I was eight or nine. Okay. But the first time I remember meeting him, I was nine and he creeped me out. Then we went bowling and a few things and he was really weirdly touchy he was really just creepy and I've always had that like weebie-jeebie vibe where people just make me crawl out of my skin and I'm like and I, he grossed me out at that point but his wife was my favorite aunt and so at that point I was grossed out at him 
And then I don't remember, we, we would have seen him after that because we went every other year. So I would have seen him one or two other times that I know for sure. Mm -hmm. But that was the first time I remember, like that was the first time we'd ever actually like gone to their house and stayed with them. I see. This was the first like overnight encounter. It was more yeah. just like a brief passing by. Yeah, at a there family was dinner. That you, the aunt, your mom, your dad, your sister, brother sister, your brother. There's seven people inside this home. Mm -hmm. How big is this? Did everybody have a bedroom? For the most part, yeah. Ah. So you had a room, your sister I had a room. I in my own room. So my sister and brother, from what I remember, were downstairs. Okay. My brother may have been in with my parents, but I doubt it. They okay. were downstairs and then my parents were in a bedroom. I was in a bedroom and then they had their bedroom and then the bathroom. Not a big house. Not a big house. But for some odd reason, you ended up in that bedroom. Did this man suggest this? And I know this is like crazy thing that I'm thinking of, but how did you end up in your own little bedroom? I don't know. You don't even remember how that came to be. No. And he somehow in the middle of the night would leave his bedroom. Yeah. Oh, it started that afternoon. Afternoon. So Where are, where's everybody else in the middle of the goddamn day? Everybody else was outside and I had a migraine. So I came inside and I was just laying on the couch, just reading a book and relaxing and he came in and already at that point started like kissing the side of my face and whispering in my ear and asking how I was doing and being inappropriate. And then it just continued. So I went and sat in the bedroom at one point and he followed me down the hall and he pinned me underneath him and told me what he wanted to do to me. Oh no, this continued with multiple things all evening. I went to the bathroom. He followed me like, oh no, it just, it just kept going. And then again, all night where he'd like sneak out of his bedroom across the hall. Now, if you don't mind me asking, did you lose your virginity to this man mm -mm. or did it didn't get that no, far? No, he never raped me. And I'm very grateful for that fact. It was a lot of touching, a lot of fondling, a lot of feeling. Probably it's interesting to hear you say, I'm sorry, Dawn, you said he never raped me. And I am very grateful for that. That sounds... I guess for me, it's like, to me, just what he did to you, and he you're talking about this man didn't even touch me, but it's like, he molested you. But you said he didn't rape me, but I am very grateful for that. Why do you say it like that? Because that would have caused its own separate layer of issues. Mm. Interesting. Right? Yeah. It would have. And I know that I truly, to the core of my being, believe had we stayed another night, he would have. Hmm. Because it was progressing at such a rapid pace. Yeah. That it from, would have happened. Yeah, from the afternoon, because you said the whole day into the night. Yeah. And so that's, for me, it's, I know this is weird, but through my healing, I've really gotten to a place where I see the gratitude in it. Right? Yeah. I can understand because you're healing would be different from my healing. And this is yeah. not my story. This is your story. So there's a definite reason and a logic behind you saying it that way. And it's you is, do you think it has to do with you forgiving the situation because you can't beat yourself up about the past and it is what it is. And I understand what you're saying. 
He didn't rape me and I'm grateful that. And that's true because it would have added another layer of pain to the situation. Yeah. And there were enough layers, right? Yeah. One of the things that was probably the hardest and often surprises people is the verbal of what he did. For me, the verbal of what he said to me was as damaging or more Mm -hmm. psychologically than the physical of what he did. So he did things like push my face into a mirror and in my look at me and make me look at myself while he told me what he wanted to do to me Mm. while he went over all the things that he loved about me and how beautiful I was and how he wanted to, he told me what he wanted to sexually do to me. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is why I believe that he would have had, we stayed longer and that was probably harder to me than anything, but also what it taught me after. So in telling my parents, in speaking up about things, right, it it caused a like a break in me at that point of like, oh, I can't actually trust anybody. Oh, the words they told us in school about like, say no and go and tell someone you trust is actually bullshit. Right? It's easier said than done until you're in that situation. Well, it's I said no. I said no over and over and over and over and over and like pushed him away and everything, right? Like mm-hmm. because it happened so many times, I had so many yeah. opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. And like and it is when you're in the moment, like so many of my clients that I've worked with are like, it happens so fast. I didn't even realize what was happening until it was done. Yeah. And I laid there paralyzed thinking, what is even going on right now? Mm-hmm. Right? But we weren't taught that in the 80s, right? First, it wasn't even discussed in the 80s. Oh, gosh, no. Not at all. Girl, you don't talk about that. You keep that to yourself. All hush hush. Yes. Right? All hush hush. But that's the thing, right? And so it was those things. It was, you know, if someone finds me beautiful, they're going to hurt me. Mm -hmm. It was all of these other things that it wired into my brain when it happened. That caused so much more damage that I had to work through. Did you have to see him after, before, even before you filed the charges? Did you have to see this man again? No, I've never physically in person seen him again. Um, There have been a few situations where family members have invited him to weddings or invited him to events Mm -hmm. that he was going to. And I just refused to go. Was he at your father's wedding? Oh, they invited him, but he didn't come. Okay. Okay. Is he still married to your aunt? Mm Mm-hmm. And has this aunt basically cut you off? Oh, that entire side of the family did. As soon as I started talking loudly about it. Gotcha. Because it was very cultural, right? In In my background and how I was brought up, it was very cultural to forgive and forget. You just sweep it under the rug, act like nothing mm-hmm. happened. And there's no need to vocalize anybody's business, right? Like, just shut up and act like it didn't happen and we just don't need to go there. And so the louder I've talked, the louder I've yelled has definitely <laughs> diminished the size of my family. <laughs> That's okay. You know what? That because is I've okay. Because i so loudly, right? Like I talk so loudly about it and I'm like, no, no, no. This happened and I feel zero shame. 
And if me talking about it and me telling my story helps one other person to get help, gets one other person to be like, hey, wait, that's why I do that. That's why that part of my life is an issue. That's why that thing bothers me. That's mm -hmm. so tied. That's so exactly. tied to the abuse. Okay, I'm going to heal now. Exactly. Okay, I'm going to fight for myself. Hey, you know what? I have that creepy uncle in my life. I have that person that gives me the weebie jeebies. Maybe I need to figure out why. Mm -hmm. Right? And this so, is what I like to hear because, as you said, oh, I've lost some people because of that. Oh, and so you see how you're like, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. And another woman needs to hear that because it is okay. If you have to cut people off that are just completely unhealthy for you, that is okay. Here's my line I use all the time and pisses off people. I loved you, but I love me more. Exactly. Exactly. Now, after this situation, you reported him to the cops. Pretty much nothing was done. You find out you have a brain aneurysm. And... You well, had, they did I, want to press charges. Like they did want to go the whole route, but because uh -huh. of the brain aneurysm, the doctors actually said I wasn't allowed to do anything for a minimum of two years because they were afraid the stress oh, would kill me. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Did yeah. you have to have surgery or anything? Yeah, they fully cut open my head right from like center of my forehead all the way down the one side, all the way oh, just in front of my ear. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so 17, 18, so now grade we're going to fast baby. forward. April of grade 12. April <laughs> of grade 12. Surgery. Going Grant's for brain fun. surgery. Grad is so fun. So did you go to your graduation? Kind of. I did. I okay. walked across the stage. It was a big hurrah because I actually okay. like walked across the stage and people were just shocked I was even there and alive. Yeah. And then I went to prom but I was in a wheelchair and stoned off my rocker on mm -hmm. painkillers. So my boyfriend drove me home, tucked me in bed and went back. <laughs> is it the husband now? Yes. Gotcha. It okay. Is. So he's we kind of been, been there from the beginning. Yeah. Okay. So he's been yeah. through a lot. So he knows oh, like the full blown story boy. of what you've been going yeah. through. 100%. Okay. So now you graduate high school. Did you go to college? Um, I tried. I lasted mm -hmm. one semester, but I was in doctor's offices constantly because of the pain from the pain. stuff. Yeah. So now we're going to fast forward to when you told me, I told my husband, give me one year. Was yeah. the marriage in trouble at that point? Is this why he was like, hurry it up, figure it out. Let's go. No, my husband is a saint. Like okay. that's the only word for him. Okay. He has always backed me a hundred percent. And mm -hmm. his thing has always been, as long as you are still fighting for you, mm -hmm. I'm here. Good. Okay. And I'm good. fighting for you. The second you give up on yourself and just curl up to die, I'm out. That's and good. he told me that like before we even got married, that was always his thing. And, and so, with all the shit you've gone through, that's good. You had that human being as your healthy oh, support right? because your family, you know, oh, blood is thicker than water, but they, couldn't. they really put you through the shits. Well, and this couldn't, man right? 
is was like your like breath of fresh air. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. We've had our hell. We've had our times. We've had to fight through. Girl, you who don't has deal, it? You're what? not married for 25 years without that. Girl, <laughs> who, I, I get what you're saying. And I totally understand <laughs> what you ain't no relationship out here. Perfect. But I get what you're saying. I totally understand yeah. what you're saying. And you needed but, that breath of fresh air from that man. But he also you're... had understood, like, he was watching me go through all of this and watching me fight all of this. Mm-hmm. And he was watching it all, right? And he he understood. He mm-hmm. did hit a point where he was like, I understand why you don't want to live in your life for the rest of your life. Like, mm-hmm. he totally got that. And as hard as it was for him to take and to accept, I remember that conversation of, like, Babe, I was like, I can't, I can't fight like this for my life for that much mm-hmm. longer. Like, if this is what my future looks like, I don't want it. Like, I love you so much, but I can't, I can't fight depression. I can't fight anxiety. I can't fight wanting to be dead. I can't fight eating disorders. I can't fight like this and cost us this much money in therapy and meds and everything else for the, for like the next 80 years. Like, I can't do this. Gotcha. Totally gotcha. And that was where that came from, was me saying, you know what? What if? And Give I mean, me, me saying that also meant, what if I'm, can I also max out all of our credit cards and rack up all of the debt possible and cash out all of our retirement mm-hmm. to try to heal in the next year? Gotcha. Okay. Right? You did that for real? I did. Oh, wow. So now when you told him, give me a year and what you specialize in, is this coaching, life coaching with a specialization? Um, I guess you could call it that. Okay. It's really my thing is like, where are you and where do you want to go? And so now let's look at all the different pieces of it. So is there trauma involved? The epigenetics, which is the science behind the fact that we hold our ancestors' trauma in our DNA for up to three generations, mm-hmm. right? So I'm a certified SIT practitioner, which is subconscious imprinting technique. You did all this in a year, Dawn? Like Not all this? So, so that what came did later? La- that came later. So now you've gone through your healing and the path that you've gone down, like where you're sitting at right now, yeah. you're looking at me and business is good. Yeah, it is. So how did that start? What was the first path of that? What training did you go through after your healing, or I'm assuming during your healing, that got you to where you are right now sitting at that desk yeah. that they so, can't see? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first thing I did was I actually went to a conference called Ultimate Leadership with mm-hmm. Dr. John Townsend and Dr. Henry Cloud. Mm-hmm. And for me, I went to it as I needed to figure out that I was actually worth fighting for. That was the first gotcha. thing I needed. Got it. And I owned a business at the time. And the premise of the conference, I mean, in my, I'm going to butcher this horribly. I apologize. It's okay. Doctors, was like, you can only build your business as high as you are. And I also had very strong faith. So like the three of them mm-hmm. was like, okay, if I want to increase my business, I got to build me. And these guys wrote the boundaries books and Mm -hmm. changes that heal. And 
how to have difficult conversations with people. And it was all these pieces that I was like, okay, <clears throat> part of my healing has to be figuring out how to do those things. Mm -hmm. Right. And I knew part of it was going to be, I got to put up boundaries with people. Exactly. Because if I'm going to do this healing, I'm going to piss people off. I'm going to have to ask people hard questions, right? Like I need to have that confidence. So that was a big part of it. That was the very first thing that I did. I hopped a plane to Laguna Beach, California and went to this conference for seven days. Oh, okay. okay. And it like ripped apart parts of my life. It was incredible. It was absolutely mind bogglingly incredible. Like it was just the greatest thing I've ever done. And I did that. And then I came home and I was like, okay, now that I believe I'm worth fighting for now, what? Now, what do I do? So I did everything from, I went back a year later and did that entire conference again, um, just through a different lens. Cause I was now a, quite a different person. I read books I went to the Hoffman process and learned stuff about cathartic that work, which is like rage and anger work and mm -hmm. belief repatterning and how we take patterns from our parents or we pendulum swing and do the opposite. Mm -hmm. And it was like little parts and pieces of all of these things. I did a whole bunch of layers of the Robbins Madonna's training Institute for strategic interventionists with Tony mm -hmm. Robbins because I loved his abrasiveness. Mm-hmm right? Of like the no bullshit aspect. Cause I needed that. I needed less fluff for myself. Mm -hmm. Right. So I went to a bunch of his conferences. I took random online life coaching certifications. And at the same time, I took courses on like, I did research into smell therapy and sight therapy and music therapy and how all of these things affect you and color therapy. And like, I just, it was anything and everything I could get my hands on. Gotcha. Gotcha. You I were ready to, to own your life. Speaker. I listened to every speaker. I went to every random thing with, you know, those dumb conferences that have like 45 speakers that all talk for an hour and all they do is sell to you. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. I hate those. I absolutely hate them. But I'd be like, I'm going to go and I'm going to walk out with five changes, five changes that I can actually make in my life and not spend a penny here. And mm -hmm. I would, and I'd go to them and I'd be like, oh, I got seven. I got seven nuggets, like <laughs> seeds that I can go home and now expand on. Right. Mm -hmm. We're like, Hey, that speaker commented on this, but they didn't go into depth. I want to dig into that. I'm going to Google that. I'm going to research the hell out of that. I'm going to figure out what is actually going on there. Mm -hmm. And started with that. And then I was having coffee dates with a million people at this point and I went to visit a friend and she was laughing at me because she's like you do realize you have it was 21 or 22 coffee dates in that one week that she said are people that are just needing your advice and support how did these people find you there. mostly referrals so people that had known me in childhood people that had been watching my journey people that because I was very vocal about it Right. Got I was it. very vocal about what I was doing and what I was trying to heal and how much I'd hurt. And I'd started a blog at that point. Like I had a bunch of stuff going on. Got and it. so, but people talk, right. People like to gossip. So they'd be mm -hmm. like, Oh my goodness. Have you talked to Dawn lately? Mm -hmm. She just seems so happy. Mm -hmm. And then people She's would going talk a about change. it. Right. 
But then someone would also be like, oh my gosh, I have to tell you I was just sexually abused and I don't know how to cope. And someone would go, hey, my friend just went through that or she's been healing that. You should talk to her and see if she has some advice on where you could get some help. So by you not being afraid to speak up, you were pulling others in who were like, oh my God, Dawn had been through that. Let me contact her. Because you don't, and that's how it is. It just takes one, Dawn. And you are that one that you spoke up to give the okay for for everyone else. You know, it gave, it gave people permission Mm -hmm. is what it was. It just, Mm -hmm. it gave people permission to actually like tell their story, gave them permission in a weird way to be like, Hey, maybe I am actually worth fighting for. Maybe I can get out of this horrible relationship. Maybe I can figure out how to be a woman without being able to be a mom. Maybe I can actually start a business. And then because I'd owned businesses at that point, People started asking me questions like, hey, this is really affecting my business. How do I how do I do this in my business? And I'd be like, oh, it's because your avatar is all wrong. Like, let's dig into that and figure out like what do you want to do? What is the problem you want to solve? How do you want to help people? Or how do mm-hmm. what do you want to sell? Like, what are you going after? And so people started coming to me. Really, it started with like personal. And then it turned into them also coming to me for business. And I was like, oh, okay, so I'm doing personal and business. And Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden in these sessions, we'd be like whiteboarding out, you know, their business plan and they'd break down and tell me about some horrific trauma that they had dealt with. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, let me know when you're ready to deal with that and we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. And that's where it transitioned and landed me here. That's a success. Now, (laughs) how I deal with mostly trauma now. Trauma. So your title is, say it again. What is your exact title? Ass Kicker Hope Giver. (laughs) I love Ass Kicker Hope Giver. And you specialize in trauma. And is business a success? I specialize in trauma. A lot of people that haven't been traumatized go into business for themselves because Mm -hmm. they can't be told what to do. And they make for really shitty employees because they're control freaks. Mm Yep. Yep. So they end up running a business, but they don't realize all of the different areas of the trauma that are actually affecting their business. And so then when they're talking to a typical therapist or a coach, they're dealing with like just personal or just business instead of being like, hey, wait, these are actually completely intertwined. So I also do strategies with businesses and I help them with anything from startup how do you start a business logistics wise to getting your website to hiring the right teammates to how do you actually figure out who you want to help and Mm -hmm. support and your passion and networking and marketing like yeah I just just and how people how is business now years later after everything how long have you been in business doing what you're doing so fully incorporated, it was six years, I think, in March. Okay, so, so you've been, been in business a for a while. What yeah. were you doing when you said I was in business? I had a business at the time. What was that business? <laughs> I owned a restaurant. Oh, you were doing something totally opposite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, you were in the food industry. I would have never thought that. 
No, I was in a totally different industry. And then I also had a job working for a road building company because I'm a workaholic and love okay. working. Gotcha. Um, I was a national construction safety officer. So I okay. ran, I did all like the bookkeeping and bonding and margining and banking and hiring and firing and training and safety programs and everything for a road building company as well. So in the midst of while you were doing that, you were building your brand with all the coffee meetings you were having. And this is how really without, six years ago it all started. Realizing I was doing anything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And when you say fully incorporated, when did like you realize? I actually started I an mean, incorporated company and it's been about five years. I think I'm at five years now full time. You left what you just told me, the other two, to go into business for yourself yeah. five years I ago. Sold, I sold my last restaurant stuff and okay. went full time. That's a blessing because you yeah. took your rocky ass first 29 years and you turned them into success. I'm not going to say 29 years. We're not going to count infancy. We're going to say. Oh, no, from... It was about 33. <laughs> 33. Okay. <laughs> trauma started really young. Yeah. Well, yeah, true. Because was... with your mom. Yeah. Yeah. Through the first was 33 a years. Crazy, was it... But you know what? I've always had a belief that if I can take whatever's happened to me and turn it into something amazing to help somebody else or to benefit mm -hmm. somebody else, it was all worthwhile. Right. Mm -hmm. It was all worthwhile. I was talking to a new client earlier today and she was talking about pain around a situation in her own life. And I was like, let me tell you a story. And I told her about it in my own. And I was like, and then this is how I dealt with it. And she's like, Oh, you get me. And she just cried. She's like, mm. I feel like somebody actually understands me for the first time in my life. And I was like, yeah. That's good. And you're going to connect with the right people that's fit for yeah. you, which is always good. Now, what advice, Dawn, do you have for the women out there who are, regardless if they're in business or not in business, but in a traumatic situation? It could be several traumatic yeah. situations have we heard here with dawn sexual abuse the brain aneurysm breaking her back um oh, fighting the disorders. eating disorder drug the addiction, all of it drug <laughs> addiction oh we didn't even tap into that but the list yeah. continues so <laughs> you know as you can see here what advice do you have for a woman who's in this situation right now Stop buying into the bullshit story in your head that you have to have all your ducks in a row to make a change. Mm -hmm. You need one duck. Like you need one little asshole duck. That's it. And once you have one, you can grab another and you can grab another and then you can go. I think there's this belief that you have to, it has to be an all or nothing situation. Right. And often mm -hmm. it's one degree at a time. It's yeah. one little step. It's one degree at a time. Right. So if your entire world is feeling out of control, grab mm -hmm. onto one thing you can control. That exactly. might be what time you wake up in the morning. That might be if you go on social media or not. That might be what you eat for breakfast. It it might be something really, really tiny. Right. But grab mm -hmm. control of that one thing. And cling to it for all it's worth and start to build a little bit of stability under your life and then grab onto a second thing. Exactly. 
right? Exactly. And don't just take one opinion. Don't just take one opinion. If one doctor tells you something and you're like, no, that doesn't resonate with me. That doesn't mm-hmm. sit right with me. I know that that's not what it is. Get another damn doctor. Mm-hmm. It's, it's finding that, that little bit of spark inside of you, that little bit of gumption, that little bit of oomph to be like, you know what? I'm not dead yet. There's still a little fire in these old bones kind of feel, right? Exactly. And I just need to pour some gas on it and then go. And that's the thing, right? Is one thing. You just need to do one thing. You don't have to change your entire world overnight. And it's it all seems overwhelming is the thing, right? Mm-hmm. All of it feels overwhelming at first. Right. So reach out to me, reach out to a therapist, reach out to their support lines everywhere right now, especially with COVID and the mental health crisis that's going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But find your little things. I always tell people, I'm like, get up in the morning, put on some damn pants, slap on some mascara, like get out of your yoga clothes and like live life again. Like find those little tiny things that are going to make you feel the slightest bit human because then you can grow on those. You can build on those. And we forget about that because we one degree, we one degree ourselves to death to fall apart. And then we wonder why we can't 180 degree ourselves healthy. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I follow this woman on Instagram. She's a fitness trainer. And her favorite line is just move. Just get up and move. Just do it. Just like Nike said. Yeah. It's the baby steps. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be huge at all. It could literally be tomorrow morning you wake up and you put on real clothes. Exactly. And then you still Netflix and chill all day in your misery. That's fine. Congratulations, you put on clothes. You got up. You You brushed your teeth. You washed your face. And you put something on. Do you know how much that takes? So much. Right? It's a lot. It's a lot. Maybe it's the fact that you just are going to brush your teeth. Man, I remember those days when I was like, look at me. I'm wearing clothes today. Right. Thank <laughs> like you, that's Jesus. Right. And then the next day would be like, okay, today, you know what? I remember thinking mascara was kind of cool. Maybe I'll put mascara on. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, look at me. Little baby steps. Little baby steps. Well, Dawn, we're going to be wrapping up today. And it was phenomenal having you as a guest. And, you know, oh, I'm honored. Um, I appreciate our talk. I was not even expecting all this because you come on, I see you sitting in your nice chair with the background and, you know, Dawn literally looks just put together. Beautiful woman until she starts sharing her story. And this is the reason why I created this podcast for this exact reason, because like she said, just start taking the baby steps. Your fucked up life has does not need to be the end because no. trust and fucking believe somebody else is going through something worse or has gone through something worse. We all have been to a point where we have been rock bottom. Yeah. Everyone has a story, but you can 
find success outside of that? Oh, you can thrive outside of it. The minute you stop living in your past, right? The minute exactly. you actually take that step. Exactly. So as always, we're going to end today. I want to always thank you guys for listening until the next episode. Love yourself, voice yourself and be yourself. Have a great day, everyone. For tuning in to Fampale Podcast. If you want to continue the conversation or share your takeaways, I want to hear from you. Head on over to the website or join our Facebook community and comment your favorite part of the show or share your thoughts. I want to hear what you have to say. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Chat with you next week.